off topic right yeah hey uh brad welcome to the show man uh great okay. background law enforcement military and you're in the beautiful garden state man my yeah. my home alma mater where i grew up where i was born and raised in good old new jersey new yeah, Jersey. Jersey. how's it going man welcome to the show doing well i uh, appreciate you having me on jason really do uh you know you're always welcome i love talking to law enforcement especially what's going on now in today's age uh we're gonna leave politics out of it but the thing is there is so much going on with politics and policing. And that's one thing I really want to talk about today. I want to talk about, you know, what it's like to wear that shield, what it's like to wear that badge, what it's like to put your life on the line. And then the stress that may overcome you and turn you into like, you know, just addicted to, to searching out ways to deal with these feelings. Brad, um, let's get that 30,000 foot overview of who you are and where you came from. We'll, we'll break the ice there with the audience and then yeah. we'll get right into the deep, dark, deep, dark secrets of uh, what's out there, man. Yeah. So, you know, uh, born and raised in North Jersey, um, still reside here now. I have uh, two um, beautiful young boys, uh, ages uh, four and six, both uh, both little gingers. You know, uh, they are they are monsters. You know, they are they look more like they're ten and ten and six, you know, Um so they come from good genes. <laughs> they, um, but you know, growing up, I, um, you know, lived in a, in a great household. You know, um, my father, uh, you know, still works as a funeral director. My mother worked for as a computer programmer. I have a younger sister, six years younger than me. And uh, you know, the thing was, like, starting at a young age, I was bullied. You know, you would expect someone like me, who's you know. I was always a big kid in school, you know, I'm six, five right now, 310 pounds, you know, I was always a big kid, you know, and, um, the problem was I was a big kid, but I was also emotional, right? I wore my heart on my sleeve and, um, kids took advantage of that, especially at a young age, you know, and that really uh, had a, had a huge impact on me as I got older, you know, and I had some other things happen to me when I was younger. Um, I was molested um, at a young age, uh, you know, where I very, you know, I only remember bits and pieces of it. Um, and eventually that played a huge part in my, um, in my addiction later on in life. Um, you know, in high school, I had my first drink when I was about 15, you know, because I wanted to belong to the group. You know, I wanted to um, be with the cool kids, you know, quote unquote. And, um, you know, I remember my first drink, it was a, it was a piss warm Miller Lite. And, uh, you know, I was always, you know, chasing that first drink, you know, because that like calmed me, you know, and, um, well, let's just jump right into it. Um, you know, you talk about your childhood trauma. There's a lot of similarities in our, in our work groups, in our policing and law enforcement and, and militaries. Like sometimes we've had these either it's traumatic events as childhood trying to fit in and we use substance. We use booze. We could use weed. We could use, I'm not saying I'm use weed now, but I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, uh, you could use anything to try to get over that trauma that it, it's kind of like 
you're trying to deal with the feelings. And when you say 15, I'm like, yeah, you know what? That that's about the time where I talked a lot of my lot of guests and myself. And it's around 14, 15 years old where you're trying to find yourself and you're mm-hmm. looking for that emotional support. And that emotional support a lot of times seems like it comes from a bottle. Yeah. And you know, this transitions to later on in life when you're dealing with the, the big stressors, you know that. You're going through high school and then was policing in the back of your mind? Was a military in the back of your mind? Was that yeah. your way to escape? Or no, I mean, I was always, I was always fascinated by the police. Um, at a young age, uh, my father, uh, you know, being the film director in town, he knew all the cops. All the cops were friends with him, and all the cops knew, you know, they knew me growing up, and I would always look up to them, right? And I would always say to myself, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to do that, you know. But obviously, as a kid, you know, you're, you know, getting into your, you know teenage and adult years, your, your profession changes about 15 dozen times, you know? So, um, when I, I was, when I was getting recruited to play football in high school, right. I had a, had a couple of scholarship offers, right. But I remember the first letter that I ever got was from the United States military Academy. And, um, I remember go, running to the phone, you know, when we had pay phones in schools, didn't have a cell phone at the time, you know, and collect calling my dad, at work and saying, Hey dad, guess what I got? A, guess what I got a letter from? I said, he was like, who? I, go, said, I got a letter from West Point, you know, uh, for, to, for football. And he's like, that's where you're going to go. You know, he said it, you know, that was my first letter ever. Right. And, uh, you know, sure enough, that's where I went, you know, um, ended up going to the prep school for a year down at Fort Monmouth. And, um, you know, my drinking came with me because, uh, you know, Going from that into going from a you know regular you know, high school environment into you know into that military. Um, well, you Brad, know. you know I know exactly what you're talking about, and you, for the audience out there, and I always say like the audience out there because we have audience everywhere. And when you're living in like a Jersey or New York, and the West Point is like this, like wow, this mecca. This is like this is like the Ivy League of the working class. You know what I mean? And it's like. When when you get that letter and you call your dad, he must have been like, "Wow, you know that's a prestigious yeah. thing." And you know, yeah. the, I know all about the prep school and and getting into that mindset, especially when you're you know you're dealing with a lot of stress. So let's mm-hmm. talk about that again, man. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, no. So so you know, I get I get down to the prep school. I had to go there because my uh, my grades weren't good enough, right? My SATs weren't high enough, and I was struggling a little bit in English. So I go down there. Uh, get my grades up, do my work, but my, you know, the stresses were still down there as well. You know, so we had our POVs or personnel vehicles. We could have them on post and I would always, you know, keep a, keep a bottle of booze in the car, you know, just to, if I, you know, if I got stressed out, the day was a little stressed, I'd run to the car, go take a couple swigs and then I'd run back to my room. Right. So that's how I dealt with the stress at that time. Um, it was, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, self-medicating at that point. And then, you know, once I got out of the the prep school, went up to West Point, you know, I, I brought it up there, you know, hiding booze in my room and, and stuff like that. And, you know, having to deal with, you know, a um, playing D1 football, right, which is basically a full-time job, right, dealing with the academic course load up there, right, which is equivalent to that of an Ivy League school, like you said. Right. And then dealing with the military aspect of it, you know, you know, as a plebe, you're running around doing all these, uh, you know, the duties that, you know, around the company area, you know, delivering laundry, delivering newspapers, you know, cleaning the barracks, you know, calling minutes, all this, you know, stuff that you have to do while you're up there. But, um, you know, the stress 
just keeps building and building and building, especially if you don't have a, if it, especially if you can't go talk about it, right? Because I'm talking, this is like 2000 when I went up there, you know, and if you went and talked to the shrinks up there, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're done. Yep, absolutely. You were done. It, was, it, it wasn't like it was today, right? It was totally different. And that's only 20 years ago, right? So um, that's how I dealt with my stress. And then when I came home on the weekends, being that I was so close, mm-hmm. right, all my friends came home with me. It's party right? time with the friends. <laughs> Forget about it. My father used to tell me that it was the, the worst 48 hours of his life was when I would come home for a weekend because <laughs> he would not sleep. Right, because you knew we were out partying, and he was like, "God, for, he's like, I just don't want a phone call from the cops or a hospital." Mm-hmm. Right, so he, um, you know, it was, it was stressful on him too, you know. And then, you know, as everything progressed, you know, throughout the throughout the uh, my years at West Point, um, you know, playing football up there, um, I you don't have to take a PT test while you're playing football, okay? So you you do have to take a PT test, but it's a modified one. You take what's called the uh, you, know, you take a um, instead of a two mile run you do the twelve uh, minute bike test right you still got to do the two minutes of push ups two minutes of sit ups but you got to ride a twelve minute bike right which was fine passed it great then you're done playing football you got to drop all the weight conform to armor height weight standards right and then you have to do the two mile run right well I ended up missing it by fifty one seconds and I got dismissed from the academy wow. So I just had my whole entire identity taken from me and those thoughts that I had and those things, those kids used to tell me when I was younger of you're not good enough. You're a failure. You're a piece of shit. All these things, right. Came to fruition. And I was just like, fuck this. And that's really the first time I contemplated suicide was when that happened. Right. I legit wanted to walk down 9W to the Bear Mountain Bridge and jump off the bridge because of everything that I was going through. And uh, because I didn't I didn't want to go home and face my family. Right. Face my face, you know, all my friends and stuff like that, because, you know, I felt like a failure. You know, now keep in mind, this was right after, you know, 9-11. I graduated class of 2004. OK, 9-11 happened our sophomore year. You know, I grew up in North Jersey. Yep. Right. I could see the World Trade Center, you know, from my town at the, t- at the top of the mountains. Right. And it had that had an impact on me. And I said, you know what? I want to go get these sons of bitches. Right. That's what I wanted to do. And um, and I wasn't able to. So what I said to myself at that point, I says, you know what? If I can't serve and protect over overseas. Right. Serving for this great nation that I love, let me go and do it stateside, right? So that's how I ended up becoming a cop. You know, ended up entering the uh, 109th uh, class for the Port Authority Police Academy and uh, ended up uh, at another bi-state agency, right, where I did organized crime and um, narcotics investigations. Did that for about four and a half years, Right. Well, let's talk about the getting into the policing job. You know, you and I both know Jersey is not, and Jersey and the whole East Coast is like, I don't know, it's something in the water. Well, half of us want to become cops or get into law enforcement. I don't know yeah. what it is. Uh, it's not easy to get one of these jobs. And when you're getting that shield the first time, and, you know, I'm 20-something years into my career now. I'm kind of in the twilight. 
And I remember when I first had that badge, that shield put on my chest, I'm like, I didn't quite grasp, you know, what I'd be going through over the next 20 something years. And you don't. And when you talked about stigma in the military and stigma being a strong guy, when you put that shield on, you, you take on this persona. You take on to say, hey, you know what? I have to be strong. I have to be strong for myself. I have to be strong for the public, be strong for my friends and family. I got to internalize it. I got to keep that shield up. And I think that's, you know, when you're talking about the drinking and the abusing the booze and, and trying to quell your, you're already having mental issues at the time. When you first put that badge on, what was that? What was the first couple of years like, you know, getting out there? The first couple of years were just full of, you know, doing stupid new boot shit. You know, I mean, we would, you know, being so close, you know, but me and a bunch of my buddies, we, we would get shore houses on the Jersey shore. Right. And, uh, you know, just partied up all summer. Right. And, you know, like we felt invincible just because we had a little cheap piece of tin on our chest. Yep. Right. Which doesn't mean shit. And we thought we were on a pillar, you know, better than everyone else, you know, and we're not. And if there's any new cops out there that are listening to this, all right, just remember one thing, right? And for all cops, as a matter of fact, just remember one thing. You are one fuck up away from having a T-shirt fundraiser and a GoFundMe page. Yeah. Okay. You are no better than anyone else, right? I had to learn that the hard way. And, you know, it takes years. Well, it shouldn't take years. But the thing is, you don't understand the responsibility that comes with having that badge and gun. No. When you grow up, you think, hey, you know what? I'm going to put bad guys in jail. I'm going to be like, you know, wah, wah, wah. I'm going to be doing awesome stuff. I'm going to be like, adrenaline's going to go flowing. And you become risk averse later on a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you're like, damn, man, I am one T-shirt away from a GoFundMe. You know, I am one incident away from a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. GoFundMe, she said. And it's a lot of stress, man. And now you're talking about you have kids and a lot of, you know, you're a little bit older now. Well, a lot older. You're like, yeah, <laughs> we're a lot older. But the thing is, like, you know, when you're young and you're on the job, you don't understand the implications of what can happen that it can affect your entire life. Yes. And a lot of it has to putting on that that badge and thinking, hey, you know what? I, I am something special. I'm a I'm a wolf eater. I'm a sheepdog. I'm this. I'm that. You're a human, and your job yes. is to is to protect other humans and life and limb. And I, I I'm a big fan of the Thin Blue Line, but not for what people think. A lot of people think the Thin Blue Line. And I'm preaching in the choir here, but it's more for the audience. The Thin Blue Line to me is not this. Hey, you know what? We're going to close ranks. We're going to save each other. It's all about you know this 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 line of secrecy. To me, it's like on one side of that line is evil. And the other side is the public, and you are a thin blue line between that evil and and the good and the the normal, the citizens who are out there. And that's what it is. You have to remember that, man. And that shield is not just shield to protect you. It's a shield to protect those that are behind you. And that has to do with the the public, man. Mm -hmm. And getting over that persona and getting over that, it, it, it will help you. It'll make you... If you don't think that you're something different than everybody else, it's going to let you communicate better, not with just your your fellow officers or your fellow LEOs, but with everybody else as well, man. thousand percent. The biggest thing that I learned through everything that I went through, right, was I learned empathy, right? Because, you know, no one's born evil, 
Okay. It's a learned behavior. It's a learned trait, right? And, you know, up here we have a term, you know, shit bag or whatever like that, right? And I don't, I don't go for that, right? Or a junkie or something like that. I don't go. They're a human being. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what you're doing right there is you're dehumanizing them when you call them that. Okay. Why don't you ask them, hey, bud, what happened? Tell me about your life. What happened in your life to make you end up here? Because you know what? That could be the first time anyone's ever sat down with them yep. and asked them those questions. And that could be the first time they feel that someone actually cared about them. And that can go uh, that can go so far in someone's life, right? I mean, people could have a shitty, you know, uh, shitty interactions with cops. But then you come along and you... Treat them with kindness, treat them with respect, treat them with dignity, right? And you will change your mm-hmm. entire view on the law enforcement community. I uh, I remember driving. I was 17, I think, at the time, and I didn't live at home. You know, I, I don't tell my whole story to a lot of people, but hey, you know what? Here we go. Um, my senior year of high school, I moved out of my house uh, because there was a lot of family issues going on between my dad and mom and suicide and a bunch of other stuff not with me but with a lot of stuff going on in my family so i went and lived with my best friend i remember i used to clean cars down in denville new jersey after school <laughs> and i'm driving home it's around 8 30 at night and i go clean cars at night uh professional car cleaner i'm awesome but hey uh it's rain it's pouring rain i'm doing 85 miles an hour on route 80 and i get pulled and you know back then it was 55 miles an hour yeah cop pulls me over um and you know uh, you know it goes he Gets me out of the car, sits me in the car. He goes, puts me in the front seat, and he's got Pink Floyd on. And I didn't know what the hell was going on. I'm, I'm nervous as shit. And he goes, hey, you know what? Uh, you must, you got some problems going on right now? I'm like, yeah, you know, my mom, dad, this, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, you must have had a momentary lapse of reason. And he was playing Pink Floyd, momentary lapse of reason or something like that. And I was like, huh, you know what? This guy was empathetic. And he goes, look, here's the deal, man. I know you got a lot going on right now. I'm going to give you a seatbelt, a seatbelt ticket. And I, I remembered that. And I remembered his empathy back then. He could have been a complete ass, hooked me, whatever, you know, 17-year-old kid. I could have lost my license. I could have lost my livelihood at the time. But he didn't, man. And he didn't. And I remember going on later on in my career and not thinking about people as like, you know, the junkies, the this, the that. And it, you can't, man. You got to think of people as humans. And yes. if you don't, if you've never dealt with anybody with addiction, you're getting into law enforcement, and you're young. You don't know what the hell's going on. You've grown up in a sheltered bubble, and you put this badge and gun on. Go understand who your community is. Understand what addiction is. Understand what addiction looks like, and then then you know you could use that for your judgment later on. Yeah, exactly. You know, and the thing is, those addicts, right? They're sick. They don't want to be like that. All right. They don't want, it's not like they wake up in the morning wanting to be like that. They wake up in the morning because they have to be like that because if not, they're going to die because Mm -hmm. they're they're going through withdrawal symptoms and stuff. And, um, you know, my heart breaks for them because, you know what? Even though I had, it was a different substance for me. Mine was alcohol, right? I understand, right? There's been plenty of times where I've had investigations, right? Where I could totally relate, 
to those individuals, right? I said, listen, I get it. You got a problem, right? We need to get you help. We need to get you help first and foremost, right? And um, it's it, it's it's amazing what it, how you could turn something negative that happened into my life, right? In my life, and make it into a positive, right? Because um, you know I'm 33 months sober, okay. And you're here talking about it. Yeah. And 33 months ago, I had my gun in my mouth. You know, um, I didn't want to be here anymore. I was hurting so much. And it was, I, you know, I don't know what it was, but, you know, I had turned my phones off. And I turned, you know, finally turned my phone back on. I had sent a text message to my wife. I turned my phone back on. And she, there she is. She answers the phone. She's hysterical crying. And um, she says... You know, she told me the cops are at the house. The first thing I said to her was, you just ruined my career. Because that's all I was thinking about was my career. I wasn't thinking about my two boys that I had at home. I wasn't thinking about my wife. I wasn't thinking about anything. All I was worried about was my job. Because that's all I lived for at that time, right? Well, let me tell you something, right? Don't get me wrong. I like my job, right? I'm very grateful for my job. I give thanks every single morning that I have a job. Okay, but that's not what I'm all about, right? I'm more about being the best father that I could be, right? The best human that I could be, right? Because if you concentrate on trying to be the best human that you could be, you're automatically going to be the best father. You're going to be the best cop, right? You're going to be the best, you know, son, whatever, right? Because that's what it's all about, right? Life is not just... You don't take on your profession, right? It's just a job. Just, you know, puts food on the table. Let's, you know what, let's take a backstrap to, you know, I've been there, you know, and I, I haven't been as close to putting the gun in my mouth, but it was, it was a little bit weird because suicide ideations or suicide thoughts or suicide steps or whatever, it's a numbness. It's not like, it's like, huh, maybe everything will be better off without me, but you don't really, it's to me. It was just like, huh, I did. I had two, my kids were, you know, at the time, I think they were, uh, geez, maybe like three and five or four and Mm -hmm. six. I don't even remember, but it's like, they were young and, you know, now they're 11 and 13 and I was, so they were, yeah, they were like, they're about your, yeah. And I'm thinking about it. I'm like, you know, at the time I wasn't thinking about them at the time I was thinking, I'm just numb Mm -hmm. and you know, the booze didn't help. Um, I didn't really start drinking heavy until after that because I was trying to find some emotions. I was trying to get emotions back and there was nobody to talk to. I, you know, and that's the thing is you, you feel like you're stronger than this, but then you're like, huh, you know, if I'm gone, they, they'll be fine. You know, it's, it's weird. I, man. That's how I felt. I felt that my family would be better. Yeah. If I was gone, they get my, you know, my death benefits. They would get my you know, health insurance, my you know, life insurance policy rather, and they'd be happy. Right. No, but no, no, because I, I didn't realize the emotional scarring that I would have put on my children. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause all I was thinking about was just taking the pain away. And that's one thing I want to say about there is like, if you don't have kids, it's not just the pain. You have so much to give back to, to everything, to your family, to your friends, because people do care. And if you're 
you know, if your chain of command is fucked up and they don't let you come forward, then fuck them. Get another job somewhere else. Because, you know, and it's sometimes it's not that easy and sometimes you're vested. But sometimes, you know, uh, you have to make a decision. Life and death, man. Well, I'll tell you something about that. You mentioned about the chain of command. I could not have been more blessed to have a chain of command that understood and supported me than than that than my chain of command then. I mean, they were one you know, when I went to the hospital that night, because I thought everyone hated me, you know, I thought no one no one gave a shit about me, right? And funny enough, when I got to the hospital, there's my best friend who's my PBA delegate who's my PBA president at the time. There's my other close friend who's my delegate. There's my other buddy who's my um who's a vice president and there's my SWAT commander. Right. And they were all there with me and they stayed there the entire night in the emergency room with me until I went up to the unit. And that, that gave me a level of comfort. Like, you know what, Brad, you, you, you were just in your head and that's the worst place for me to be. Right. Is in my head. And, um, it was at that time that my, um, they gave me, a, you know, they, they, I was like, yeah, I'll go to rehab. Right. And so they were going to make arrangements for me to go down to Florida and stuff like that. Cause that's where everyone from Jersey goes, Oh, send them to Florida. Right. But my, my chief at the time says, no, I'll pump the brakes. Brad's going to go somewhere else. Brad's going to go somewhere different. Brad's going to go to a place where he's going to be with people that are like him. Right. And so a phone call was made to, um, this company that trains us in the SWAT team, right? It's a company called Tomahawk, right? And they're a bunch of uh, retired tier one operators, okay? They're out of Nashville. And uh, this one, my one buddy, really close friend of mine, um, his name is Wally. You know, he, um, he uh, got on the phone with my SWAT commander and uh, made arrangements um, and then got on the horn with Tom Spooner and said, hey, you know, I got a, I got a guy up in Jersey. He needs to come on down. And he goes, all right, done. And in four days, on January 1st of 2019, I was at Warrior's Heart. And again, you know what? Once he mentioned Tom Spooner, man, uh, Tom Spooner's been on the show before. And everybody out there, take a pause right now. Uh, we're going to talk about Warrior's Heart. Go check out Warrior's Heart. Uh, they, Tom, Tom and those, they're doing such incredible things. And I like it's geared towards people like you, you know, it's geared towards you could relate. You know, when you talk about going out to Florida, you'd be around with a, a bunch of different people. And if you don't relate in the company, when you're getting counseling or when you're getting treatment and stuff like that, sometimes it's not as effective as going down to a program like warrior's heart. So let's get, let's get into that, man. Man. So, you know, I, I knew nothing about the place. I never heard of it. Right. So, yeah, I started Googling stuff like that. My father's calling me up and, you know, he's telling me, he's like, yo, Brad, you, you know, you got to see, you got to see this place on the, on the internet. It's, it's, it looks amazing. Right. So I'm like, all right, I'll take your word for a pop. So uh, I ended up going down there and I remember just coming through the front gate and like seeing like, like African game animals <laughs> running around in the pasture to the right. I was like, what the heck is this? Like going, I'm like, right. So I'm like, this is insane. You know? They got like these uh, water buffaloes like hanging around in the, in the ponds and stuff. Like I had no idea, you know, where I was at. And then, you know, I get dropped off the at the main office, and I have there's another um, another one of the clients that was there, and he goes, uh, "Welcome home, brother." And that right there, that's when I knew that like that's where I belonged, 
right? Because that's what I hold very close. I I like everything with that, you know, dealing with brotherhood, right? Um, that's why I love the SWAT team so much, right? Because of that brotherhood that we have, right? That bond, you know, Army football, we always talk about the brotherhood, right? Same thing, you know, and, you know, you come here and this is a place where everyone's got your back and everyone's supporting you. And, um, you know, I spent my 42 days there and um, it was amazing. You know, they have so many things there for you to do, you know, just besides, you know, working on your, you know, doing the one-on-ones with your therapist or do the group therapy and stuff like that. You know, they have stuff to, you know, work on your mindfulness, right? You know, work on, you know, where you go into the wood shop, right? And you, and you can make flags, you can make whatever you want in the wood shop, right? They have a metal shop. You know, guys can make, you know, tomahawks and stuff like that in the, in the, in the, in the wood shop, in the metal shop, rather, or whatever you want, knives. And, you know, they have a canine program there, right? Which I really got involved in, you know, because it forced me to get up in the morning. It forced me to get up in the morning and take care of things, right? Because I would have to go down there, open up the kettles, right? First thing in the morning, feed the dogs, do all that stuff. And then at night, I'd have to go back down there and close the kettles and feed the dogs and do all that stuff, you know? Um, give me a sense of purpose. And um, and then, you know, they had CrossFit, you know, they were offering then. Um, and I, I went every single day and I felt great, you know. Um, it was just really a, a tremendous experience there. And, you know, the counselors that I had, um, I couldn't have asked for for better counselors. You know, they, they really helped me out tremendously. You know, I still keep in contact with them to this day. You know, whatever I'm, I'm having a you know a rough day or something like that, or I have a question, I need to bounce something off of someone, I'll give them a call. Yeah, it's definitely a program I would vouch for. It's definitely a, a crew that I would vouch for. They're really no, good. Definitely. You yeah. know? And, and just recently, you know, I mean, this past, so I suffered um, bilateral bicep tears back in February, right? Toward both my biceps and uh, working out. And um, Go figure. You were working out. You were <laughs> right. six, six one. How, how much? You six five. Those, yes. Right. <laughs> hey, you know, I was working out. I blew my biceps out. Yeah. You know, shit. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I was at you know, I've been I was out of work for a while, and then they had to go back in and get a a cadaver tendon put in my left left bicep, right? And cadaver hamstring tendon. And after about like six weeks, that was back in June. About six weeks into July, I get an infection, a bad infection in my left arm. And I spent a week in the hospital and um, want to talk about being depressed. I spent the week in the hospital. Like, no, you know, it was, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. And, you know, I had the surgery there. I come back out two days later. I'm back in the hospital again because my, I just started leaking out all over my bedroom floor. Right. And then, you know, on my 40th birthday, I ended up going to the doctor again because I was leaking out. Right. And I ended up getting another surgery. Right. So I had like four surgeries on my left arm. Right. I'm out of work. And one of the biggest things I love to do. Right. Is fly fish. I couldn't even fucking do that. Then that was that's what would keep my mind off of things. And I couldn't do that. And I was just so depressed. And um, what was great is um, I became very close friends with a, with a bunch of guys um, through this company. Uh, uh, Hades Consulting, right? I, I became very good friends with them through Tom Spooner. And Tom um, introduced me to uh, one of the owners, um, name was Zach, and uh, his his other buddy, uh, his business partner, Charlie. And uh, 
Yeah, I was close with Zach and I actually called Zach up and was talking to him about this. And he heard um, the crisis I was in and how I was feeling, how I sounded. He's like, this doesn't sound like Brad. So the following day, after I talked to him, he goes, you know what, Brad, we're going to take care of you, dude. You're going to go back down there for, for a recharge. Right, we're going to send you back down there for about five days and get a recharge in. And let me tell you something, that's exactly what the doctor ordered. Because when I came back from that, I was rocking and rolling, ready to go. That's when I went back to work at my new assignment up at the, up at the police academy where I'm teaching uh, resiliency now, you know, and uh, with the New Jersey Resiliency Program. And let That's me tell you something. Cool, yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, it's, I could not be in a better position right now. Um, and that's what I love is it's, is teaching this resiliency program because I, you know, if you would have asked me 14 years ago, when I first became a cop, what I would be doing in my 14th year, <laughs> teaching resiliency and talking about emotions and feelings was the last thing I guarantee I'd be doing. Right. But yet here I am doing it and I love it. Right. You know, I, I this one doctor that, um, that I have to go see. Uh, for our fitness or duties. And he, he he would say to me, he's like, you know, Brad, you always thought that your purpose in life as a cop was to, you know, crush doors and arrest bad guys, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, fuck yeah, that is my job, right? He goes, nah, he goes, your purpose in life now is to go out, go out and help your brothers and sisters who are in crisis. I said, you know what, doc, you're exactly right. Cause I love doing it. You know, um, I absolutely love going out and, you know, um, I mean, I hate getting the phone calls because I know there's another cop in crisis. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I want to help them so much because I don't want them to go through what I went through. I want to be there for them because, you know what? I didn't have a cop who went through it like I did when I was going through it. No, nah, because, you know, it was the cone of silence, man. Mm-hmm. It was, I'm afraid to step up and talk about it. I mean, shit, man. You know, I was thinking about that, like, when we were talking about, it, like, how old my kids were. So it was actually around 2011, end of 2011, 2012, when I was really jacked up. So they were only, like, you know, <coughs> babies. Mm. Uh, man, and I'm thinking, I'm like, it took me so long. Like, if I, the only time I ever started talking about it is during a podcast. It shouldn't take someone 10 years to talk about, you know, the demons in their head. You know, you need the, Get rid of this machismo. It's it's awesome, man. I love it. I love being in you know, ha hoo. I'm like all strong and shit. But you know what? I'm a lot happier now that I'm like, hey, yeah, let's talk about this. And you know, if you're starting your career, talk about it now. But the biggest thing is, you go see like all these guys who like these tier one guys, like Delta guys, Dev Group guys, right? Seals, SF Rangers, all these guys now are coming forward and talking about mental wellness. Mm-hmm. And talking about getting your mind right, right? Because if your mind's not right, you ain't fucking. You're useless. Yeah, right. Because you're not going to operate at that at the top level that you've been trained to operate at. You know, and this, you know, the program, you know, and there's another another company that I've been recently working with called Resilient Minds in the Front Lines, right? And and they and they go around teaching this stuff as well, and all around the country, as a matter of fact. And what it it's just basically teaching, you know, wellness to people. Right, talking about mindfulness. Right, talking about grounding. Talking about gratitude. You know, because when you're when when life happens, okay, you know, think about the good things that you have in your life. Yeah, like every morning when I wake up. Right. I am grateful that God gave me another day to do to do his will. Right. Because tomorrow is guaranteed to no one. 
You know, I'm very grateful that I have two beautiful children that I love so much. They're my world, right? I'm very grateful for the fact that I have a job, right? Because there was a time in my life where I didn't think I was going to have one. I didn't think I was coming back to having a job, right? And then lastly, I'm thankful for my sobriety because if I don't have that, I don't have anything, right? And I don't own that sobriety. My higher power, which is God, he owns it. I have mm-hmm. to work for it. I have to, it's rented and rent is due every single day. You know, um, he's got to practice the program. You know? you got, yeah. You know, and it's, it, you know, I equate it back to, and this is what worked for me because when I, when I had gotten hurt, right, I had, you know, when I had my uh, illness over the summer, I had gotten away from the program just a little bit, right? And I started taking a little bit of control back, you know? And I, I equated to this. We have a saying on our SWAT team, right? Be better at the basics, okay? Right? So to me, the basics of my program are the first three steps, you know? And um, if I don't practice those every single day, you know what? That's being better at the basics, right? Because when sh- when life happens, Okay. It's like, be, it's like being a cop, right? If you're constantly practicing, you know, uh, dry fire, drawing from your holster, all the time, mag changes, all that stuff, mm-hmm. all that tactical shit, right? When shit happens, okay, you're going to be able to do it under pressure, right? And do it fluidly. But if you don't practice it, you know what? You're going to be fumbling around and guess what? You're mm-hmm. going you're, you're to be in some shit. And that's exactly the way my recovery program is. I got to practice it every day. Yeah, we got to shoot that out and make sure that people understand that there are programs like Warriors Heart out there. Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, there, you know, not not only Warriors Heart, you know, but off the offshoot of that, they have Warriors Anonymous, mm-hmm. right? Which is a a program um, that was started and is, is um, strictly for you know the warrior class, you know, veterans and first responders that have to do the military, you know, and. We started and when COVID hit, right? Yeah. We started, you know, Tom, Tom Spooner called me up. He's like, Brad, how you doing? You know, and you, you know, we're talking, shooting shit back and forth. He goes, listen, I'm going to be doing these um, Zoom meetings for Wars Anonymous, right? I want you to log on. I'm like, this is great because you know what? All the in-person meetings are closed, right? I had nothing to really work my program. Okay. And so in our, our job, my job was closed. We were on a schedule. We were working one, one week, one week working, two weeks off, right? Because of COVID. Gyms were closed. I had nothing else to do, right? And, you know, I was talking about fly fishing before. And that's why I picked up fly fishing, right? And that became my new addiction because I started with one rod back in February of 2000, <laughs> of 2020 rather. Now I got like 17, you know? So that's why I did the personality coming out now. But I love it so much because you know why? It's such a grounding. It's such, it's, it's so grounding. You have to be mindful. You have to be in the moment, you know, um, because if you're not, if you're not paying attention to that fly, you're not paying attention to that indicator, you ain't going to catch shit. Right. And I can and the best part about this was when we were doing these online, these uh, zoom meetings, right. I take my phone, put it in my chest pack. All I do is listen. Mm-hmm. And all I'm doing is listening to, all stuff about recovery day in and day out. And it was awesome. I was loving life. Like I thrived during COVID. Right. Um, and people were saying like, oh, you know, like, oh, COVID is so bad. I'm like, dude, it's like, this is like great. 
You know, I'm doing, I'm doing fantastic during this whole thing, you know, and that's really when my, when my life started to change for the better, you know, because that, that summer I got put into major crimes, right. Where I, you know, was put, put into fatal accident investigations, right. A couple months later, um, I was put back on the SWAT team. All right. And eventually everything that I had lost through my addiction, I was getting back. Right. And it didn't happen in my time because at first I wanted everything back all at once and I was being selfish mm-hmm. and I was, and I was driving the train. Right. Instead, I let God take over and let God direct my actions. All right. And just gave it back and just sat back and just enjoyed the ride. And you know what? Things started to happen. And it was, it, it was, it was awesome. It was awesome to see. Well, brother, I'm, I'm glad you ended up in the right place, but you know, it wasn't easy. I'm sure it wasn't, but I'm glad you found like warriors heart. And I'm glad you had people to help you out. So now that tells us to say, Hey, you know what? If we see someone else struggling, one of our peers, one of the people around us, help them lend that helping hand. Don't, ignore them don't say yeah they're strong that's uh, he's 610 he's 500 pounds six five three ten you know that, that's the thing nah, yeah. you know you know people look at me and they say oh man nothing could bother you you know look at you 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 look at the mountain from game of thrones nothing could bother you right i'm like no i'm human i just i have emotions just like you and i have feelings just like you right and listen every single cop veteran Every single person listening to this podcast, you have emotions, you have feelings. It's okay to talk about them. It's okay not to be okay. Raise your hand and ask for help. Yes. Well, brother, I appreciate you coming on and talking about this, man. No, I appreciate um, you having me. You're always welcome on the show, brother. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you very much.